We're going to watch a video while we do it. It's a little bit unusual, but I want you to turn your eyes toward the screen as we give. We're going to watch this video that sets up our message. It's called, I Want to Be Just Like You. He climbs in my lap for a good night hug. He calls me dead and I call Faded old pillow, their name Pooh. He snuggles up close and says, I wanna be like you. I tuck him in bed and I kiss him goodnight. Tripping over the toys as I turn out the light. I whisper a prayer, someday you'll see. He's got a father in God Cause he's seen Jesus in me Lord, I wanna be just like you Cause he wants to be just like me I wanna be a holy example For his innocent eyes to see Help me be a living Bible, Lord That my little boy can Just like you, cause he wants to be like me. Got to admit, I've got so far to go. Make so many mistakes, and I'm sure that you know. Sometimes it seems, no matter how hard I try, with all the pressures in life, I just can't get it all right. So hard to learn from the best Being patient and kind Filled with your tenderness Cause I know that you learn From the things that he sees And the Jesus he finds Will be the Jesus in me Lord, I wanna be just like you Cause he wants to be just like me I wanna be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see Help me be a living Bible, Lord That my little boy can be I wanna be just like you Cause he wants to be like me Right now from where he stands I may seem mighty tall but it's only cause I'm learning from the best father of them all Lord, I wanna be just like you Cause he wants to be just like me I wanna be a holy example For his innocent eyes to see Just like you, 
Wow, that is the ultimate Father's Day song in October, isn't it? <laughs> Just so all the little girls know, we need to find the girl version of that song and the mom version of that song as well, but... Uh, Boy, that brings back memories, just watching those kids, and uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be grandparents, so we're going to be in this whole thing all over again, but I want to just thank uh, all the kids who led worship today, and I got to tell you something, that was a little bit of uh, a throwback time. Every single one of those songs I used to lead for my junior high youth group back in 1978. So those have been around for 30 years. Some, they have staying power. You got, you know, uh, more love, more power, and a mighty fortress is our God in the same category. Unbelievable. You know, those um, just awesome, awesome kids. I enjoyed that. Hey, we want to talk about the idea of passing a spiritual baton. Today may be one of the highlights of your family's experience because I'm going to invite every single family to come up, a representative at the end of the service, and grab one of these batons. And um, we're going to entitle Leaving a Legacy. It's the end of our four-part series, Leaving a Legacy at Last. We've been doing it on Tuesday nights, but it has the date that kind of commemorates this. And I'll come back to this at the end, because the bottom line is if we watch the Olympics this summer, the baton pass makes or breaks whether or not you win the relay. A fumbled baton almost never wins. I can't think of an uh, example where someone dropped the baton and they won the race. And of course, as parents, that's the last thing we want to do is fumble the baton and passing that spiritual baton on to our kids. And I wanted to finish this series. And for those of you who are new to the church, we're actually in a series in Colossians right now taking kind of a, a one-week break as I finish this four-part series called Leaving a Legacy at Last. And we looked at um, last week, Parenting Pearls on Tuesday night. Before that, Parenting with Love and Logic, a Truth About Consequences. And uh, we looked at all kinds of other topics on Tuesday nights. But this idea of passing the spiritual baton to our kids is something that Howard Hendricks said this way. He said, the Christian life is more caught than taught. Now, I don't know about you, but when you were having your kids, and as our daughter is having our first grandchild, there are all kinds of parental authorities who come out of the woodwork to give you advice how to parent your kids. Here are the, some, some of the ones I've heard over the years. Children today are tyrants. They contradict their parents, they gobble their food, and they tyrannize their teachers. That was Socrates in 420 B.C. <laughs> Or my favorite uh, parenting slash uh, semi-theologian that every pastor quotes at Mother's Day, Irma Bombeck. When traveling on an airline, check the children and sit next to your baggage. <laughs> Number two, never take your children to a pediatrician who has dead tropical fish in the aquarium in his waiting room. <laughs> Number three, never help your children with their homework or they won't graduate until they're 35. And then, this is my favorite, never lend your car to anyone to whom you have given birth. <laughs> we lived in Minnesota, and Abigail Van Buren said this advice, the best years of a man's life are when the kids are old enough to shovel the snow, but too young to drive the car. 
So, you know, for all of us, we've gotten all kinds of crazy advice. Uh, and today's parents are very intent on healthy kids. I learned this firsthand from my own daughter. I found out this is now the normative experience for every grandparent. I, had to go, I don't get flu shots. I went and got a flu shot so that I can hold my child. Most of you young parents are going, yeah, so what's up with that? I mean, of course we're doing that. So I just checked around. Nearly every grandparent in this room who is expecting a grandchild in the next month, we've all gotten our flu shots. And my DTAP or whatever is, uh, that's up to speed and everything else. So I just want you kids to know, not that you're much older, but I want you to know what the struggles that grandparents went through for you. Now, I think it's kind of instructive out there there are several of you who are expecting a grandchild, and I'll give you between now and the end of the calendar year through December. How many future grandparents are we expecting out there besides us? Look at this. One, two, three. There are four of us. We've started our own first-time grandparent support group, and so uh, Rod and Nita are joining the Irwins, and we're going to go through this experience together. Ours is on the seventh, Lord willing, and on the fourth. So the race is on. We'll see who's first. The race is on. Now, the bottom line is, whether we want to admit it or not as parents, and even as grandparents, sometimes our kids just drive us crazy. And in fact, there are times when we wonder as they're growing older, will they ever be that child that I've prayed for? Or worse yet, you've been praying for them, and all of a sudden that child that was so lovely turned into a teenager, and you said, what happened there? And so as we look at our priorities, our passions, we'll look at this idea of the Christian life being passed. So in your notes, I made it very simple. We have a one-verse summary for the entire message today. Most of you are going, Pastor John, usually you take four, five, six, eight verses. You can't ever seem to land the plane the last few weeks. Just a sidebar on that. Next Sunday, Pastor John Nungester will lie on, land the plane that I have not been able to land the last few weeks. He will finish out our section there, and I'll be back in two weeks. But the bottom line is, we want to start with the mentor, an example of integrity. The mentor, an example of integrity. He gives us a command that is not optional for the, those of us who are Christ followers. And that is, he says this in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That word example is the word tupas. It's, it's, it's the idea of making an impression or a pattern. It's like when you would brand a cow, all right? Uh, and so uh, he says, follow my example. Now, I was pretty excited about this idea of being an example for my kids because you know my wife, when I was a young dad, she said that I was a model dad. I was a model dad. That is very impressive until you look up the definition of model, a small imitation of the real thing. <clears throat> she didn't mean it that way, but the bottom line is we should be an example. Philippians 3.17 says this, join with others in following my example. Brothers, take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. See that same word, example, and pattern are used interchangeably. Then how about 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9? For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Albert Schweitzer said it this way, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. Or as James Baldwin said, children have never been good at listening to their elders 
but they have never failed to imitate them. And so we gotta be an example. So that leaves us to the next idea, and that is we need to be consistent then. If you're gonna pass that spiritual baton on to your kids and grandkids, there should be some kind of consistency in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter four says it this way, therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I am sending you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. In other words, if I'm gonna say it, I gotta live it. If I'm going to uh, believe it, I have to behave it. My character and my conduct have to be in sync. I illustrated that for you last summer with a guy on a, a chair where your belief and your behavior have to be in sync. Now the problem is what happens if we're inconsistent? Well, when you're inconsistent, your kids get some kind of funny ideas about, well, daddy did this, why can't I do that? That was probably never brought out more powerfully than when my daughter was four years old. And we were going to our favorite restaurant, which is the Harbor House Cafe at the time when we were living in Huntington Beach. It's where they you know, serve an omelet that could serve like a third world country, and it's just huge portions. Big crowds, all the surfers go there. It was a Saturday morning. So John Daniel was about 18 months old. And for those of you who don't know me, my son is now 25 and my daughter is 28. So this is ancient history. So we drop Cheryl and John Daniel off at the front of the restaurant so they get our name on the list while Katie and I went out looking for a parking spot. Now I gotta tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we guys, we approach parking and finding and securing a parking spot very differently than ladies. Ladies are polite and, oh, go ahead, take that one. It'll be fine. No, 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 no. For men, we are a man on a mission. We're out to possess the land. You know what I'm talking about? And so I'm looking for this parking spot, and there's no parking spot. And sure enough, I see a, a car pulling out going this way. So I put my blinker on going like this, I'm gonna, and I'm signaling to the world that I am turning left into that parking spot. Well, before they could get past me, Two college girls in a Volkswagen VW convertible snaked my spot. Now, some of you are surfers. Snake is not a good word, so I'll just leave it at that. They took my spot. Now, I've got to tell you that I'm generally a cheery person in the morning, especially when I'm going to breakfast. But as they took my spot, the joy of the Lord was not my strength. <laughs> i got to tell you right now. And so, as I... As I'm going to the spot, these girls pull in. They're completely clueless. No offense, ladies. Completely clueless. And I rolled down my window and I said, you jerks, you took my parking spot. Now you said, Pastor John, that is not very Christian-like. Now, is it? It wasn't. I'm ashamed to say it. I said it. I, it's out there in public consumption. Thank goodness there wasn't Facebook. Someone probably would have captured a picture. So you should have seen the looks on their face. They look at me like, whoa, dude. Go, this guy's seriously crusty. What's wrong with him? Wow. And they kind of give me that look like, you're such a loser, you know? So I didn't even really think anything of it. I was like, oh, whatever, I'll find a spot. So I'm still driving, and I'm, I'm trying to find a spot. For whatever reason, I'm back on the same road. Now I'm going this way. So as I'm driving this way, I'm looking this way. The girls are apparently still at their car. I didn't realize that. And as I'm driving slowly by, four-year-old Katie rolls down her window <laughs> and her little voice says, you jerks, you took my daddy's parking spot. <laughs> I 
said, Katie Marie Irwin. By the way, kids, anytime your parents use all three names, it is not good, right? It is not good. And so I used all three of her names, and you could see this little quizzical look on her face like, Daddy, Daddy, what's wrong? I was just being helpful. I saw you do it, Daddy. I thought it would be okay, Daddy. She, you could see all this little thing spinning in her head about she had just done exactly what she had seen her daddy do. And therein, parents, lies the issue as we pass the spiritual baton. We're stuck because the bottom line is we know that we are imperfect parents. And your kids know that you are imperfect parents. Just a little clue, kids, and you are imperfect kids. We're all agreeing they're imperfect, you're imperfect, I'm imperfect, we're all imperfect. And so when we mess up, the problem isn't that we're gonna mess up. The problem is there are times that we have to deal with our failure. Abraham Lincoln said it this way, you may fool all the people some of the time, you can even fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Or as Andrew Carnegie says, as I grow older, I pay less attention to what men say, and I just watch what they do. Or George Bernard Shaw, if you must hold yourself up to your children as an object lesson, hold yourself up as an example and not as a warning. Now, as I prepared for this message, I thought, what great family can I give you from the Old Testament? This model, two-parent, intact family that was completely not dysfunctional. You're not going to find it. In fact, I think God gives us the Old Testament to make us feel better. Quite frankly, some of you are rocket scientists compared to the Old Testament saints. And as it comes to parenting, you have got it together. You say, oh, I'm messed up. Well, we're all messed up. We've already agreed to that. But think about how many messed up families there are in the Old Testament. You see, if he gave us one that was just like the super family, here's how our Christian family life experience would be. I'm just a loser. I have no hope. Because we would be constantly comparing ourselves to a standard that we could never meet. And so I think he gives us more examples or warnings to avoid. I won't go through all of them, but just think of it. It starts in the basic, basic family, Adam and Eve. I mean, how would you like your kids? Your first, you, have, you have your first two and your oldest takes out your youngest. You got a homicide in the first family. That's not good. I mean, that kind of slows down the birth rate. Come on. And then how about this one? Then you get to Noah. Noah is messed up. And we won't even get into all the stuff that he did, but he, he got drunk even. Well, then you go, well, there's got to be, how about Abraham? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had a funny way of lying about who his wife was. He always said, he, I don't know her, she's my sister. You know, she's my sister. And there are reasons we won't get into that. And then how about Jacob? How do you like this? Your dad's name means sneaky, all right? Sneaky. Jacob was always doing something. Or how about Joseph? He had, you know, a couple wives, a couple extra wives. He had 12 kids from four different women. My goodness, he's kind of messed up. And then he kind of shows some personal favoritism. So we have all kinds of examples of how not to do it in warnings. So the bottom line is, what about character? Because really it comes down to, it's your character that gives you the right to pass the baton. You see, you are saved by grace through faith. And your kids see how you live. And they're saying, Dad, Mom, I want to pass this baton. I want to take it, but 
you've got to be able to live in such a way that they can take it. So I was thinking about all the times in the Bible where we have this idea of um, imitate this or be an example of this. Now, if you do a study of that word, there are a number of character qualities that say, hey, follow me or be this example in this area. So we're gonna just pick four of them for time's sake today. And we'll say, let's look at these four character qualities that if you're gonna pass the spiritual baton onto your kids, what should they look like? So I'm gonna give you the verse. You're gonna tell me what the principle or the character quality that we should emulate. First one is Hebrews 13, seven. And it's in your verse. You can write these four down in your notes. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I wonder what the key idea is. What do you think it is? Faith. Faith. Thank you, Dustin. All right. Faith. Imitate their faith. I'm just going to go through and let the scripture speak for itself. 3 John 11. By the way, 3 John has one chapter. That's not like 3 John 1.11. There is only one chapter. It's 3 John 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is Good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does evil has not seen God. So the second one is goodness. There should be faith in, as a character quality and goodness. First Thessalonians 1.6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering and welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Third one is joy. Now you need to write them all down because we're going to have a little quiz here in just a, a second. Hebrews 6.12, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So if you see them up there now, all four of them, we have what? First one is what? First one is goodness, faith, goodness, uh, joy, and patience. Now, the bottom is you don't know what is right, and it doesn't mean much unless you do what's right. So that's the bottom line. Faith, goodness, joy, patience. I want to have you vote. Which one of these is hardest for you to embody in your family? And I think you're going to find a remarkable statistical correlation here in just about three seconds. How many say it's faith? Raise your hands, vote. We have one for faith. All right. Goodness. There should be at least one junior higher voting for goodness because you've nearly maimed your younger brother or sister. No junior hires fussing up to being good. Okay, need it. All right, nobody. How about joy? Couple of you, joy. Now, watch this one. How many about patience? Oh, what a remarkable coincidence here. Nearly 90% of the audience says patience is the number one character, virtue, or value that needs to be worked on in our family. Now, how do you do that? Because we've all been told growing up, never pray for patience because God will then give you an opportunity to exercise it. I personally never need to pray for patience because instead of that, I just went on family vacations. All right? That was our way of developing patience in our family. Now, some brainiac by the name of Gary Smalley says, and the family vacation should be camping vacations because that builds character. No, it leads to murder, all right? <laughs> Do not suggest that camping builds character. Now, we did go on several family vacations, but the one that's most memorable to me is when my daughter was 12, just about to go into junior high, you know, seventh grader, turning almost 13, and then my son was 10. Now, we decided to go from Minneapolis to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. 
in a 1992 Honda Accord. I didn't have an SUV. I didn't have a van. I didn't have a Ford Explorer. We had a Honda Accord. Would you note just a couple of, of uh, engineering uh, statistical analysis here? Is the back seat big enough for two children in a Honda Accord? It's a trick question. It is yes and no. Yes if they're drugged and out. <laughs> no if they have to coexist in the back seat together. Now, that's why you need to have more than two kids, because you need the third to referee between the other two. And the thing that every parent has ever been on a vacation is goes something like this. You have a, a, a daughter and a son, usually mom's in the front seat, and they're playing calmly together in the back seat. You're supposed to say, that is a lie, Pastor. Do not tell us that they were pay, playing calmly. That's the first you know, myth about vacations. They don't play calmly together. They do what in the back seat? They fight with one another. Is that just, do Christian families have kids who, who fight in the back seat? Yes, yes, your families fought in the back seat as well. In fact, look at every dad who has gray hair. They endured some kind of family vacation. Look at all of the gray-haired men enduring a family vacation, right? So it starts off pretty calm and, you know, collected. Now, remember, Katie's older. For those of you who were my parent in Santa Maria, Katie was the firstborn. She's by the book. She's the one when she's six years old says, Dad, it's eight o'clock. Don't you think it's time for me to go to bed? <laughs> I'm looking at her with astonishment like, what is wrong with you, you sick and twisted child? <laughs> you're, you're supposed to be like begging to stay up and you're saying, I need to go to bed. My son, on the other hand, by the time he was six, he's the guy who's working the system. Back in Minnesota, it was Monday night football. Hey, Dad, he'd come and saddle up to me, put his arm around me, hey, Dad. You, and I kid you not, he's six years old, and he says, hey, Dad, you want to watch a little Monday night football? <laughs> and then he had heard me speak at a men's conference, and he says, a little male bonding, Dad? <laughs> he's six years old. What life do I have? Before? He's going to be a life of crime, I'm sure. And so they were two very different children. So Katie's in the back seat. She has her little camera, little disposable camera. She's allocated three pictures a day on her 36, you know, for, for, so what does John do? The very first thing is he grabs her camera, goes click, 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 and he's like taking pictures of his nose and his feet and his armpit, and she is just having hysterical, Dad, do something, stop it, give me my camera. Well, think about it, kids, no offense to parents here, but your dad's driving. He's kind of held hostage. I mean, what, I'm driving like this. What, I'm supposed to, like, grab for him? Stop it, John Daniel. I'm trying to not swerve off the road. I'm trying to strangle the kid. Well, Johnny thinks that's just hilarious. He starts bobbing and weaving, in and out. Whoa, Dad, you almost got me. You know? He thinks it's just hilarious, and I'm trying to strangle the kid. He thinks it's a boxing game. Well, the kid just went over the limit. And here's what he did. I'm sorry, ladies. One of you is going to be the recipient of this. It's called a wet willy. He takes his fingers, and he's licking them, and he's going for her ear. And that's exactly what she said. She screamed, said, Mom! Because Dad's not doing anything. Mom, somebody rescue me, right? Well, it was just not a good thing. So what happens is parents eventually have to resort to idle threats. It's really what it comes down to. So you're driving like this, and you... 
your kid's doing that to your other kid, and you're, you're trying to make peace, and you finally say to him, if you touch your sister, even one more time, something really bad's going to happen to you. Now, the reason you say something really bad's going to happen to you is it gives you some leeway. You don't know exactly what it is going to be, but it's going to be bad, right? And you're going to kind of invent it as you go. So the first time I made that idle threat, we were in the Corn Palace in South Dakota. All right, John, get out. You're staying, you're living at the Corn Palace the rest of the trip. We'll pick you up on the way back. <laughs> that didn't really work. So the bottom line is, idle threats don't work. So you think you've been told that distraction might work, that maybe you get them focused on something other than picking on each other. So here's my brainiac idea. We're in the car, and it was back in the day when we were listening through a parenting series called Preparing for Adolescence by Dr. James Dobson. So I'm thinking, cool, I'll just pop in one of the tapes and we'll listen to the tape as a family. You can tell this is not gonna end well. Yeah, it didn't. So I said, hey kids, 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 hey, we're listening to this tape. I want us to listen to it together. John Daniels is looking like, you gotta be kidding me. He's going, he's gonna give this about three seconds. So Katie <laughs> raises her hand. Okay, Katie, it's a family, we're not in school, what are you raising your hand for? Dad, is this that book that you had me read? Well, in fact, I didn't really have her read it, but in our family, before she could ever go out on her first date, there was a list of books she had to read, Preparing for Adolescence, Handling Your Hormones, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, all these books. Now, girls, just, she's younger than you. She's like 12. She's not dating until she's like 32. She's got 20 years to work on these books. Well, actually, it was until she was maybe 16, 17, depending on the guy, you know, I'm not sure. She goes, I've already read the book. I said, you've read the book? Yes, chapter one, the, ca the Canyon of Inferiority. Okay, Katie, maybe you can give us a summary of the tape then. And let's just try listening to it. So we're listening to this tape. It doesn't go more than like two minutes. And out of the back seat of the car, I hear this. I'm thinking Katie has snapped and she's killed the boy. <laughs> That's what's going through my head. I look back in my mirror and it's John Daniel and he has this horrified look in his face. I go, what's wrong, Johnny? And he says, this is about Dr. James Dobson, America's foremost Christian psychologist. He says, Dad, this guy is so boring. I said, John Daniel, this is Dr. James Dobson. He goes, I don't care, Dad. Here's the pastor's kids talking. Can't you give us the big three points and the conclusion? <laughs> he knew Dad has three points and a song, you know? So sure enough, that did not work. So we're driving a little farther. They have an altercation, and then it comes to me. I have the solution. The discipline of all disciplines. He had done something to her one more time. She's in a puddle of tears. And I just, I slowed the car down. I said, John Daniel! And I'm looking in the mirror. I'm driving the head. I grabbed the tape. I hold up. I said, if you touch your sister again, you're going to get six hours of the big guy. You hear me? <laughs> Dr. Dobson has no idea how effective his six-tape parenting series is in disciplining children on vacations. I mean, he just made a move to her. 
I held up that tape and he <laughs> got an attention. Now, we can laugh about that and you say, take so much time to talk about a, a story about patience. See, the bottom line is that vacation tested my patience. It tested our kids' patience. And in families, as we pass the baton of faith, it's often when we've lost our temper, when we've lost our patience, that we feel like miserable parents. You discipline in anger, you say things you regret, you wonder if you could ever recover with your kids. And so the bottom line is, when it comes down to it, you're not gonna be perfect. But as you pass the baton of faith, there are five goals that I would suggest that you have for your kids, or make up your own five. Now, several weeks ago, I talked about this in a different context, about how small groups and the church's priorities should be. So I wanna just remind you again, for those of you who weren't here. First of all, for my kids, I followed this little example from um, Dr. John Maxwell. He said, take a long time to make a short list about what you want for your kids. And for every child or high school or junior high student that is sitting in this audience, if your parents are Christ followers, you have no idea how much they have agonized in prayer for you for such a time as this. You see, I, every parent I know that's trying to follow Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of their life feels inadequate at some point in the parenting journey, like, I just can't do this, or I don't know what I'm doing, or man, I just don't seem to be able to connect with my kid anymore, and what happened, and there's tension. And for you grandparents, you, you sit quietly on the sidelines, oftentimes wishing you could speak up, wishing you could say something. You see, ultimately, this is not just a, a message about parenting or even grandparenting. It's a message for any of us who have spiritual influence on anybody else in our life. It's really about being a mentor. Because it really means that, hey, I'm gonna impart this. It's not just the truth of God's word. I'm imparting my life to you. And some of you have caught in that. You've, you've caught that drift. You, you're a mentor to lots of people. And so I thank all the Awana leaders for investing in our kids, for all the student ministry staff who invest in our students. You see, you are making a difference because there are times when mom and dad, that's what they treat them like. I don't want to listen to you, but they will listen to their Sunday school teacher. They will listen to their youth leader. So number one is love Jesus with all their heart. Love Jesus with all their heart. Deuteronomy 6.5 is the verse he's quoting from Matthew 22, verse 37. He says, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I don't want my kids to be lukewarm. One of my biggest fears of being a pastor was raising kids who were spiritually apathetic. And for a, a few years, it was a touch and go thing, and I've told you about that in a previous sermon about my son. And I wish he could have been here today because God radically got a hold of his life three years ago. He's 25 now, but I'll tell you what, that those years from 18 to 22 were the most painful years of our family's existence. And I wish he could stand here on this platform and look into your eyes, students and children, and tell you his story about what God had to do to get his attention. Because it's even when you feel like you've done the right thing, sometimes you're just waiting and you're waiting 
and you're waiting for God to do his thing. Sometimes kids just make bad choices, right? Sometimes kids make bad choices, and I don't remember if I've read this to you before, but it's, it's so appropriate. It goes like this. It's five chapters to this short poem. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. Step three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down a different street. You see, sometimes we have to help our kids to walk down a different street, and that's so painful because they make the same mistakes over and over. And for some of you parents, you've made the same mistake over and over, and you wonder, can I ever recover from my bad behavior? Number two, I want my kids to have a passion to share Christ as a way of life. Romans 1.16 is a great verse. It says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes. A passion to share Christ as a way of life. Our kids will never be evangelists if they never see their mom and dad sharing their faith. You know, we walk a lot, my wife and I, and I'm, I know one of the best evangelistic tools to meet neighbors is to have a dog. Because everybody seems to be walking a dog, and she is the most dog-friendly person on the face of the planet. In fact, if she had our way, we'd have a dog section Right in the back, people could bring their dog, they could sit out there. Actually, that's my dream, that's not hers. But the bottom line, I thought, all those people that have dogs, and that's a, such a natural way to begin a conversation. How many of you spend any time on a sports field right now with your kids in soccer, baseball, anything over the course of the year? Where are all the, the sports parents? Natural place to have a conversation about Jesus especially if you're on a travel team and you're traveling and you have overnight hotel stays and all that stuff. Thirdly, I want my kids to be able to read the Bible and apply it to daily living. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Some of you are saying, these are pretty good things for me to be doing in my life, not just making sure my kids are doing it. That's exactly right. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Do you have a passion about sharing Christ with people that are far from God in your own life? Do you have any time in the Word other than on Sunday morning where you're spending time in the Word? For those of you who are uh, new to our church, this is our normal sermon approach. We normally go line upon line, verse upon verse as we're going through Colossians. But these are important things and, and so often... It's good for someone else, but I'm not, if I'm not doing it, then why would my kids do it? I told you about, I learned from uh, on a family vacation how to have a quiet time. Some of you have taught your kids how to spend time in the Word. Number four, I want to pray that my kids would marry a growing Christian and pass a spiritual baton to their children. It's because 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be bound up with unbelievers. I don't want them to be unequally yoked. 
So thank goodness my daughter married a Christian man from Biola University. By the way, just because you go to a Christian university doesn't mean that everybody goes to a Christian school as a Christian. Let's make sure we're clear on that. No matter what they sign on the covenant. But I'll tell you, it was awesome. I told you about how he proposed to her and the whole deal. And I know that my grandkids are going to be raised in a Christian home where the two parents love the Lord. Pass that spiritual baton by marrying a growing Christian. That heritage in our family began with my dad's mom. So it's my, my grandmother. She raised eight kids and their first kid had 13 kids. It was a huge family uh, tree that we have, the Irwin family. But the matriarch of that family, because my grandpa died when my dad was 12 years old, was his mom. And she prayed for decades for her kids and her grandkids. And I wonder what it must be like for her to be in heaven, looking down on her grandson, who's preaching today, maybe because of the prayers of my grandmother, praying that there would be a preacher in her family. You see, you have no idea of the legacy that you leave to your kids, but I'll tell you, it can get derailed real quick if they marry someone who's far from God. Why is it, do you think, that God is so strict with Israel in the Old Testament about intermarrying with the four nations. This wasn't about an ethnic issue. It was a spiritual issue because those four nations did not follow Jehovah God and they worshiped idols and paganism and animism. And in fact, we'll look at some of the, 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 the worldviews of that day in a couple of weeks. So marrying a growing Christian is so important and praying for them before they ever meet that person. My son is just, he knows the drill. He goes out with some girl and the first question is, yeah, 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 she's a Christian. I go, way to go, Johnny. <laughs> now, it was, yeah, yeah, I think she is. Now it's not I think anymore. That gets discussed in date number one. Where is she with Jesus Christ? Some of you grew up in faith environments where Jesus was never mentioned but you were a religious person. Let me make sure you're clear here. Being religious isn't what I'm talking about. Attending church isn't make, it, make you a Christian. So marry a growing Christian. Number five, be involved in ministry and serve God faithfully. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says at the end of that verse, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith. One of the things that I love about this church is from a young age, your kids get the idea that they aren't here to be served, but they serve. I'd like you to just observe this, this fact here and just watch how many hands go up. If you are a junior high or a high school student who are currently serving in our children's ministry or a one or some area of the ministry, I don't want you to just raise your hand. I want you to stand up so people can see how many kids we have already involved in ministry. Stand up. If you're, if you're involved in the ministry of some sort, Nearly my entire front section here is involved. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Now watch this one. If you are a parent in this audience and you first got involved in ministry because some youth pastor or somebody in church believed in you and you as a parent back when you were in junior high or high school, 
served in some way in your church. Stand up. I want to see how many parents that was their experience in their childhood growing up. All right? Look at how many. Now, this keeps standing. Some of it's a little harder for some of us to all get up. Okay, we're all standing up. Okay. Okay, sit down. Now, here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. There are well over three quarters of you weren't able to stand up. And this is what, what that says to me. You didn't have that privilege of a parent or a godly grandparent kind of moving you down that direction. And you had to figure all this out sometime later. In fact, some of you are relatively new in the Lord. You're just figuring out what Jesus means to you. Some of you are still on process. You're trying to figure out what does this even mean? And this is the place to be. I gotta tell you, this is the church for you when you're trying to figure out where God fits in your life. I can't tell you enough how fun it's been for me to be at this church at this time in your history because you have been so loving. You have been so kind. And you have been so generous to our family. I can't imagine what it'll be like when your pastor comes and how you will love and lavish that on him and his wife and their family. Friends, this is a good church. It's a generous church. It's a sacrificing church. It's a serving church. And if you're kind of new checking it out, this is the place to be. If you've been here a while, then you know this is what you've prayed for for 30 years, that this would be a place where there would be a lighthouse to this community and that people would be involved in ministry and serve God faithfully. So, as we wrap up then, how do we be a spiritual hero to our kids? What's the method? How can we influence our kids to righteousness? How is it that that gets done? I wanna give you three practical suggestions and we'll land this plane. Number one, be contagious. Be contagious in a good way. Sharing Christ, sharing your convictions. Talk about spiritual things. Look at Deuteronomy. This is what it says about a family that has God first. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now look at those words, all the bolded words. Look at the action verbs in this verse. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's a family who says Jesus is number one in our family. And you share those convictions. Number two, be careful. And I'm speaking especially to dads from Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So be careful. This is one of the principles I shared in our parenting class, and I'll just review it with you. Rules minus relationship equal rebellion. And interesting, this command is not given to moms. Moms have a more naturally nurturing instinct. It's us dads who want to, mmm, and we have to repeat it like nine times because we just think you're deaf, I guess. I'm not sure. And we say it in four different ways in three languages, and, 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 and your teenage kids go, I get it. Uncle, you win. I'll do it. Just don't say anything more, please. That's the respectful way of pushing back. 
Rules minus relationship equal rebellion. But the flip side doesn't work either. If it's all relationship and there are no rules, you're going to have a revolution. That's anarchy. That's just anarchy. That's craziness. You are just my best friend. Let's go shopping together, girls. First of all, you go, Dad, that's creepy. All right? I'll go with Mom. Just give me the credit card. Um, but we're not there to be our kids' best friends. What? Benjamin Spock got it wrong. And some of us were raised like that. Oh, we cannot discipline our children because they will associate anger with pain. Well, uh, pain and anger uh, in my hand. Uh, how about a little swatter thing? Uh, by the way, this deal of buying you that little thing with the rubber ball and that is a plot by parents because that thing lasts like two days. And then the ball comes off and now it's an instrument of discipline. I don't know if you got special or you had the little wooden thing, but, you know, it's a spanking instrument. So all relationship, no rules, that's revolution. So what we want is rules plus relationship equals what? Respect. It's not an either or. We've got to have both. And then lastly, be committed. Now, before we do that, I want to stop because so often we get in this kind of situation with our older kids, especially that they don't think we're listening you thought maybe this was more for kids today in terms of children, but really, high school kids, I want you to check out this video because so often it involves whether we're really listening to each other. Let's watch this as we wrap up. Whenever I talk to my parents, I feel like I can't get a word in edgewise. Nobody listens to me. I just, I want to be taken seriously. Whenever she tells me I don't listen, I just get the feeling that she doesn't want to listen to me. I'm 17 years old and they still treat me like a little kid. I just wish that they would believe me when I tell them I can do it on my own. I just want to know that I matter. She's only 17 and I don't think she understands how much I think about her. I pray for her every day and then she pushes me away and says she doesn't need my help. But I want to be needed. Look, I'm not in high school anymore. Do they really think they can control who I am? I wish they'd stop telling me what to do. I just want to be me. You know, ever since he was little, he was always saying, I can do it. But when he says that, all I hear is, I don't need you. I would do anything for him. Can I put him back in diapers? You see, ultimately, we can't pass the spiritual baton in our families if we don't respect one another, if we don't care for one another, if we don't ultimately love one another. And so we're going we're gonna to close the service, and Chad's coming up, and um, we're going to sing a song. Philippians 1.6 really embodies what it means to be committed. It says, He who began a good work in you will complete it. And so often, as we think about passing this spiritual baton, we go, well, but I've dropped it. You see, the bottom line is you can finish the race. You pick it up, you start over, and you pass it again. And so I'm gonna ask you to think about this for a moment. 
For some of you, I want to be blunt, you've just given up. You feel like you have so bungled the pass that there's no recovering. And I got to tell you right now, that's a lie. Satan would love for you to give up on your kids and your grandkids and say, I've done my best, I'm done with this. For others of you, you're saying, I want in the worst way to have my kids follow Jesus. Maybe you've never said it that way. Say you beat them over the head with what they should do. But what they need is just say, I love you so much. I want the best for you. Kids, these tears represent every parent and grandparent in this room. Some are from Norway and Sweden, so they don't know how to cry. So they hold it all in. Others are Italian, and they know how to do anger, they just don't know how to do love. Others are Irish, and who knows what they are. They just get red in the face. But the bottom line is this. I get passionate about this because there were times I just messed up. And thank goodness I had a partner who said, pick it up. Go talk to them. You're still their dad. And so today, every family is going to get a chance. This isn't a, a, a message of regret. This is a message of victory. And there they are. There's about 80 families in this church. One member from each family, preferably a dad or a mom, come up, take that baton, and take it back to your seat. And we're going to sing this song, He Who Began a Good Work in You. And you come while we sing it. Now some of you are going to say, hey, there's a date on this. I'm just going to huddle up my family as I grab that baton. I'm going to go over here, and we're just going to huddle up. And we're just going to have a prayer of dedication right then, right there. Some of you go, I've never prayed in front of my kids. It's all right. Today's a good day to start. Some of you are grandparents. You go, do I need to get up here? If you can't get up here, I'll bring the baton to you. All right? It's a long ways. It's a long ways back there. I get it. So I'll have a few of them in my hands. But here's what I'd like for you grandparents. It's not too late at Christmas to give this baton to your kids. You say, but I got four. Well, we have other issues then. We'll talk about that later. But pass that to your, show it to your kids. Say, I've been praying for you. So let's sing. Every family, you're welcome to leave a legacy that lasts.
Continue to just play, but I, I sit here and I look at you, and I think most of the families took one. But one of the issues when you speak in any church and it's quote a family service is there are some of you who are single, who have not yet been married, or maybe you're divorced, or you don't have someone that you are currently seeing and it's moving towards marriage. But there are some of you college and young adult people who someday may have the privilege to pass a spiritual baton to somebody else. This isn't just for moms and dads. This is for every person in the church who believes that they want to pass a spiritual baton onto somebody else. Whether God gives you that through the gift of marriage or being a spiritual mentor like Jim Lilligren is to like 17 of you in this church. He's got his own kids and like 17 like spiritual kids. And so if you are a college or a young adult in our church here. Some of you are like, oh gosh, do I have to come up? I'll find you. I'm going to give you one because I know there's a few of you that are sitting there going, I don't want to come up, but I believe that God is going to use you in a powerful way, either in mentoring or who knows what God's going to do in a future family. So we're going to continue to sing. If you can come, that would be great then I don't have to find you. But come because I want you to have one too. Oh, he Be fair. 
good to be with God's people. And I'd like to do something today. If you have a baton in your hand, I'd like you to hold it up. And I want you to hold it high. And as I share this benediction, may it reflect the desires of our heart for every family, everybody here. Heavenly Father, we raise this baton to heaven because we know that you are the hope for our families. You're the hope for our nation. You are the anchor to which we give allegiance. And Lord, we know that what you have begun in us, you will complete it. And Lord, for those who are praying for kids who are far from God, may they realize the efforts of their prayer and these children that come home. For those who are leading their families as the spiritual leaders in their family, may they, may they see victory in their family. And it's because you are worth worshiping that we give you this praise. And to him who is able to keep us from falling, to the only wise God be glory and power and dominion and majesty now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Grandparents who have more than one child that you would like to pass baton to, you can come and I'll give you extra ones to give to each of your children. Come on up.